Well, this morning, um, I, I do love that I have said for years that I reminded people that Jesus was actually born in a, in a, in a like more of a cave than like a wooden manger. And this, did you notice that Rod took me up on that? And this is more cave than wooden manger this year. So um, thank you to Rod and all the others who helped come decorate yesterday. Thank you for your time and your energy and your effort. And uh, we'll kind of have the culmination of that here at the end of the service today. But I I was thinking in this Advent season how we all create lists. And so one of the greatest things for us to see are Christmas lists. And I mean, I I love reading kids' wishes for Christmas. Um, And so I started thinking, what are the hopes that kids put together for Santa? And so here's just a few lists from a few kids. Um, I don't know this child's name, but but here was his Christmas list. Or I'm sorry, her Christmas list. Uh, She went in one bow and arrows, two duct tape, Three, fabric, so I can make shirts and dresses. Four, uh, plants vs. zombies. I, I believe it's a, a game. Uh, Mario Kart, so I can play with Madison. And a Bible about this big. And she drew a picture, and it's like the size of a wallet. So that's what she wanted for Christmas. Uh, Haley's list I like better, um, kind of. But she wanted a pink wig, an iPod Touch, a Monsters University DVD, a caramel apple, a Coke, a cat toy, bacon, um, <laughs> dress, and just more caramel. So, I mean, I, she's just hungry. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what boy wrote this list, but I, he cracks me up. He wanted one, a yak, two, a Furby, three, 100 of yak food, and new Legos. I mean, we can go through and we can all come up with kinds of lists that we make at Christmas, and we'll probably talk about like... Um, other kinds of lists in weeks to come, because this series we're really looking at what are the letters that, that were written in the New Testament, letters for Christmas. And so we would think that there are letters, there are all kinds of words beyond just the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew of Jesus' birth that tell us and point us to this person of Jesus. And so I, I as a kid, always wanted to be good at music. Um, like, it was one of my dreams. Like, I, I always wished, like, if I had a Christmas wish list, one year there was a guitar, I got it. I'll tell you that story in a minute. But, um, like, I, I wanted to be really good at music. And I, I, in fact, my parents have, a, my dad has sent me the video of me playing guitar and singing original lyrics. Um, you will never see that video. <laughs> I promise. At least I really hope so. Um, in third, fourth, and fifth grade, there was like this all-area choir that you could try out for. And so um, our, our, our music teacher at school, you'd have to try out in class. And every year I tried out. And every year, my name never got called. In fact, finally I got to fifth grade and you could play an instrument. And pretty much if you could like read, I mean read in general in fifth grade, they would let you try to play an instrument. And so I, I could read, so they let me try to play an instrument. And my friend... Chris Shahady and I decided that we wanted to play the bass because his brother played the bass and that sounded like the coolest instrument of the group. So these stringed instruments and I signed up to play the bass and when, when the music teacher was going around the room asking what instrument you would like to play, um, it came my turn and he says, Aaron, what would you like to play? And I said, I'd like to play the bass. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be funny. I just saw the word in my head, knew it was bass and said bass. He said, we don't need more smart Alex in class, Mr. Gregory, and on he went. Like, um, I got to play the bass, but then I learned the part that they didn't tell me up front. You had to practice during recess because you couldn't take that instrument home. It's really big. Well, I'm not skipping kickball to play the bass. I called it a bass. I can't do this. So finally, I get to, get to middle school, and I think now, in sixth grade, I'll join the band. 
because that must be, I'll be better in the band. I, I'm not good in choir. I can't play a stringed instrument. I will have to be good at band. And so I, I decided it'd be really cool to play the saxophone because those are, who, who doesn't look cool playing? I'm thinking like jazz music. That would, I don't know. And, or the drums, but I have like no rhythm. And apparently Mr. Pell knew I had no rhythm. And so he said, no, no drums for you. Um, are you taking lessons already? Because if you were, you got to do what you wanted to do. And I said, no, I'm not taking lessons. So okay, that's out. Um, I said, what about saxophone? I'm thinking that'd be a good fit. And he said, you've got big lips, trombone. Huh. So I played the trombone for almost a year. About halfway through that year, it was so bad, my mother said, if you want to quit, and I'd never been allowed to quit anything in my life, she said, we will let you quit this. <laughs> the school would not, however, let me quit it. We tried. They offered for us not to rent an instrument. They would just give us one to use. And he even invited me to join the choir band after this. I don't know what he was thinking. It was bad. So, all of that to say, I realize that I can appreciate something that I will never be good at. I can appreciate instrument and music and yet recognize I'll never be good. See, in seventh grade, I went to general music class because that was more my speed. And then there, I found out I had to sing the national anthem as a solo in class. We all did. There's a reason my mic is muted every Sunday. You don't want to hear me sing the national anthem. Neither did the teacher, because my grade reflected that. Um, yesterday, we do what we do annually every year, the first Saturday of December. Many of you came here, and I'm glad you would be here. We have a family event every year. We go to the Brass Band of Battle Creek, and it is a world-class, world-renowned brass band. They don't ask me to play the trombone in the band. I've offered, but I've never been taken up on it. But... But see, what I recognize by going to that is I can appreciate something that I cannot be really good at. I can still appreciate it, right? And see, the problem often comes for us is there are things that we can be really good at, and we go, oh, I, I can't do that. Like, that's, that's beyond me. That's beyond my ability. I mean, here's what I mean. Like, for all of us, we can exercise, even if you can't win the marathon, right? You can still exercise. Uh, you, we can all make art, even if we aren't going to be confused with Monet or Picasso, we can all cook, even if we're not confused with some chef on television. Like, there are things that we don't have to be great at to be participants in. In fact, I, we can all pray. And here's where it's interesting. I think many people think that, oh, if I can't pray like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Francis of Assisi or anyone else you can name, then I can't be a person who prays because that's got to be someone else's job. See, in some ways it is like music. You can get better at it. You can practice it more. It is something that can become no, more natural. Um, but here's one of the biggest differences. Precision doesn't matter. You can miss a note in prayer and it still counts. You can be so bad at prayer, at least in your own mind, but God still hears it. See, I think sometimes we think it's a performance art. I've heard people say things like this. Oh, man, I wish I could pray like that. And my response is, well, um, you can. <laughs> it's not an exclusive club. It does not require world-renowned. It doesn't require years of lessons but it is something that we can improve upon. See, prayer is not about our performance. It's about our persistence. Prayer is about our persistence, not our performance. 
this idea that we'll continually seek going after this. I mean, this is true about all Christian practices, by the way. I mean, what you're doing right now, what we are doing together here in this moment, this is a Christian practice. God calls us to practice, not perfection. This is the reality for us that we're invited in to be participants in the work of God in the world and we're to be formed by the practices of our lives. The reason at Christmas and Easter every year we do events like this where we set aside particular times of the season to remember something is because we are shaped by the practices of our lives. It's why we say to you, set aside 52 Sundays a year, Sunday morning, not even the whole day necessarily. Come in the morning, gather with other people, Allow a practice to shape your life. Prayer is a practice that we can all do. So Paul, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, will be there in just a moment. Paul is writing to a church saying, hey, listen, um, I, I had to leave there quicker than I would have liked. But I've been praying for you. I care about you. And so Paul is writing to a church that's being persecuted and he's saying, hey, uh, I have hope for you as you're a hope-filled people in the middle of persecution you're growing in leaps and bounds. And so Paul has this prayer of hope that he writes to them. And it's a part of this letter he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. And I'll invite you to stand for a couple of reasons. One is because um, I think you listen better standing, but two is so you don't fall asleep as I read. Um, so Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Like, I don't know if you caught, um, Paul writes here, he begins with really kind of a pastor's heart for a church that he was only with briefly. He says here, I hope you'll receive joy. Joy that's overflowing, joy that's a part of your life. He says, I... I I have joy when I think about you and I hear about you. I have joy because of what's happening in your life. And he prays with them with this kind of fervency, this kind of longing. He says, day and night I pray for you. And I pray this, that even if you don't have all the spiritual depth that, that would bring you to a place of spiritual maturity, I pray that in the middle of that, that what's lacking in your faith, that our prayers will be enough and that you will grow. And then when we're with you again, that we'll grow together spiritually in such a way that we will look more and more like we're the reflection of the very image of God. I mean, this is what, what Paul's praying. And Paul makes a point in this kind of prayer here at the end to say, hey, listen, here's, here's how we do this. Prayer is a daily activity. Prayer is something that we pray about just our regular, regular everyday things. Prayer is a way of life. Prayer is a matter of the heart. Prayer is this idea that I desire to connect with God day in and day out in a way in which makes sense at times and other times doesn't make sense. But not only does Paul encourage us to pray, he gives us an actual prayer. And this prayer is actually kind of a blueprint for us to begin thinking about how we even pray. Um, he models for us the power of praying for others, this idea of intercessory prayer, that we're going to pray committed with hope, believing that God will set the world right, and so I will pray for the sake of others. 
Paul also does something that I caught myself not doing well a while back. Paul prays to the Father in the name of Jesus. That sounds like a flippant statement I'm making, right? We just said the Apostles' Creed a few moments ago. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and is Jesus Christ his Son. Um, yet, I find myself, if I'm honest, for a long time with my kids, I began a prayer like this. I'd say, dear Jesus, and finally one day I caught myself praying this way and I said, you know, nowhere in the New Testament do I see anyone pray, dear Jesus. Well, there's a reason for that. You pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Oh yeah, I get it right when I'm with adults, but why did I screw up with my own kids? <laughs> so I started changing the way I prayed at home. And I started thinking for all of us, we, we often don't know how to do something. We don't have the right practice unless it's modeled for us. So Paul models for us a way that our activity of our life, even our spiritual life, can be reshaped, reimagined in the model of Jesus. I mean, it's this idea of learning to sense the movement of God's spirit day in and day out, moment by moment, in the activity of our life. And so then he says something to the church in Thessalonica that I think he would say to us as well, that you would have a love that overflows. A love that overflows. What does that look like to have a love that overflows? See, I started thinking maybe it looks like this, how we, we love people where they are, not where we wish they were. And, and, and recognizing that people love us where we are, not where they wish we were. Right? Paul writes a lot about love. In fact, Jesus speaks about love a lot. And love often doesn't look like what I hear among not just us, but the people who call themselves the followers of God. Love doesn't mean being walked on. I don't mean that. But love, the idea that it is selfless and sacrificial. It is about the other. It is recognizing that I am not lesser on the journey of faith because I love you and I allow things to be passed by because I choose to love in a moment when maybe I want to say something that isn't loving. But what Paul recognizes, the way that he loves, the way that the church loves, may be the only way that someone gets to see the love of God. Did you catch that? What Paul's prayer models for us is the overflow of the love in our own lives may be the only way that other people get to see love in their lives. I used the illustration last week, and I could use it again. I almost meant to bring props, but I didn't, know, I didn't want to spill water all over. But if I, if I were to bring a styrofoam cut, cup and cut a hole in the bottom and start pouring water in, the water's just going to keep going down. That's why I didn't do this, because I, I, mean, I was going to need like a whole bucket and a lot of stuff, and I decided not to go with the props. So just picture it in your head, spilling water all over the floor, because that's what would have happened. But that cup is w- worthless, right? But if I took a different cup that had a full bottom, and I began pouring water from a pitcher, water would just keep overflowing. The cup would always be full, Right, you know how this works. You do this in the sink when you're rinsing something out. If you're like me, you're kind of lazy. You throw some soap in and let it keep going because well, who's going to scrub, right? Um, don't tell my wife because she <laughs> knows this about me. But, but this is like if it keeps going in, it overflows. This is the idea of Paul saying like let your love overflow in your life. 
Don't live in such a way that your life is like an empty hole in the bottom where the love comes in, where you know that you receive God's love and then you're just that cranky person. The church doesn't need more cranky people. We don't. The world doesn't need to see more cranky church people. There are too many already. It desperately needs to see people who love Jesus and reflect that love in every aspect of their life. Well, Paul is saying this, that if we don't model God's graciousness and his forgiveness and his powerful love, then people may never see it. That's what Paul's saying is love leads us to Christ-likeness. There's a story of a woman who um, was outside a shoe store and she saw a little boy. And he was standing there and he had like, basically no shoes on. They were just kind of some dirty feet. And so she looked at him and she thought, this kid. But rather than going, his parents... She grabbed the boy, she took him in the store, and she said, uh, what size do, uh, um, we need socks. And so she took him in the back, and she said, do you have a restroom? And she said, will you come with me, little boy? And I, um, she washed his feet, she bought him some socks, and she bought him some shoes. She said, is that, is that better? Like, is that, is that better? And she, he says, yeah, I, thank you. And she said, okay, well, I hope you have a great day. And she started to leave, and he asked her this question. He said, are you God's wife? Like, I don't know where the story's from, but I, I know this. We all have the opportunity to live in such a way that someone may ask, are you, are you related to God? Like, do you love in ways that we can see? I mean, it's why we give opportunity even here. It's why there are, you can buy ornaments. You can take the ornaments and you can buy gifts for families and kids in need. It's why we have a, a whole tree set up that's literally empty. It's barren right now because it'll be filled with hats and gloves and scarves and mittens and whatever else we need to help give to kids in need. I mean, you can buy someone a cup of coffee and listen to their story. You can shovel your neighbor's driveway. You can rake their leaves. You, I mean, there are ways we can show tangible expressions of love to people in need, people who just we want to get to know in all kinds of ways. But then Paul prays these words, I, I love and I hate all at the same time. He says, I pray that you would, would find yourself holy and blameless. Ooh. Holy and blameless. Well, that sounds kind of hard. <laughs> Holy and blameless. Paul prays this prayer because he believes it's possible. Paul prays this prayer recognizing it isn't easy. He's not saying this is just sign us all up. It's not that hard to do. But he's saying this, that, that you can move to holiness in your life. You can become more and more a reflection of the image of Jesus but here's the thing, you can't do it on your own. That's not possible, by the way. I mean, you need the work of God. And here's the other part that we sometimes miss, because we think holiness is you know, my own self. But holiness requires not only God's work in our lives, but the work of others in our lives. It's a relational connection, allowing people to speak in and going, hey, huh, you don't sound very holy here. <laughs> Did you know that? Because often when we say that to someone, we go, oh, how dare you judge me? <laughs> heard that several times, by the way. Probably said that several times, by the way. What Paul is saying here is if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you submit yourself to one another in the church, whether you're a member of the church or not. You claim to be a follower of Jesus, then God calls us to speak into one another's lives. We become a reflection of holiness because here's the reality. Holiness requires practice. 
the practices of the church, the rhythms of the church, if we go back to the music analogy, there's rhythms of life, and one of the rhythms for us is spending time in the scriptures, time with one another, time gathering weekly, week in and week out, not because we get it all right, but because usually we get it wrong, but together there's hope that maybe we'll begin to get it right. Maybe there's hope because someday Jesus will make all the wrongs right. Maybe there's hope because someday all that's broken will be redeemed. Maybe there's hope because when Jesus taught us to pray, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, earth's full of hell. But will you pray and live in such a way that heaven breaks into the here and now? Will you pray and live in such a way that heaven breaks into the everyday so that hells on earth become places where heaven begins to reign? Can you imagine what that might look like if we lived and prayed and believed with hope that somehow God is redeeming and restoring and making all wrongs right? That there will be no more suffering and no more tears and no more sorrow and there will be a day when every wrong is made right. What if we begin to pray and to live that way? That's what it looks like to live with love that is overflowing, to live a life that is holy and blameless. It is about others first. This is love overflowing, and it happens and it begins with prayer. See, prayer is not an activity for only spiritual giants. In fact, one of the greatest prayers I know was a church custodian, Mary Ann Skurlock. It's one of my favorite ladies. Um, Marianne was a custodian at Mantino where I served on staff for a number of years. And, and Marianne, when I needed someone to pray, in fact, even this summer, when I needed someone to pray for me, she's who I called. Marianne's grammar isn't always correct. But her passion and her heart are pretty spot on. See, spiritual maturity doesn't require spiritual giants great teachers, great leaders, great pastors or preachers or great people of whatever requires persistence, not perfection. Requires heart change and commitment and love and those things we can all have. See, the practices of the Christian faith, they they aren't about our performance, they're about our, our persistence. It's about our persistence, not our performance. I mean, sure, there are are things that we recognize in rhythms of the life of people that the good news for us is that prayer doesn't require any specific talent other than just faithfulness. Being shaped by others, being listening. I mean, you can learn to pray. It does require being mentored and listening to and asking questions. I mean, greatest growth in my own prayer life has happened because others have spoke into my life because I asked them to. It's not about your abilities. It's not about being first chair in the orchestra or the band. It's about whether you're willing to... keep walking into this place and believing in a a God who promises resurrection and promises new life, who gives hope. See, I I would say it this way. Last night I was um, in this concert, I was thinking, man, I'm glad they're playing and not me. They're really good. But then I had this thought and I hadn't, and I added into my notes this morning because I was like, oh, I need to say that in some way. It's true, last night, had I got up to play any one of those instruments, I would have ruined the whole thing. I would have. It would have ruined the whole thing. I would have been off. I, don't even, I can't even hear music well. I mean, I, I know when you're bad. Sorry. So, if like, I, I know when people are bad. 
I also know when they're good. I don't know a lot in between. Like, if you're good and bad, I can tell you. And when you miss it, I usually can tell because something doesn't seem quite right. Don't ask me why, but I, don't, I just know something wasn't good. But I found myself thinking, you know, here's the reality. Even though I'm not playing right now, I'm still participating. Right? There's a reason why I would probably, I would ruin a musical experience on a Sunday morning if we turned my mic on during the singing. I promise I would ruin it. Because you'd be more distracted by how bad that voice is that you're coming, where's that coming from? So no, we don't ask everyone to sing. No offense if you love to sing with a microphone. We ask everyone to sing without a microphone. We just don't ask everyone to sing with a microphone. See, we can be participants together even if I'm not the one leading. And this is the way prayer and the Christian practices because we're all participatory in everything. I can listen to something and be engaged with it in a way that says, I'm in, I'm with this. See, preaching is not a solitary event that happens where I speak, you listen, and we just go on. Even if you don't speak back to me in this moment, this is a participatory event for us together. It is formulating us together collectively. It is just not my voice that shapes us. It is the voice of God in this moment. This is not something that is about what the pastor preaches. It is about God shaping us to be a unique people. It is persistence together, week in and week out, not perfection. And if we will live and pray and seek as a people of hope, God will reshape us into all kinds of new images. It's why this morning, I I think of Jesus, we're going to say some words to us. Here's what he'd say. I know that your love may not yet be like mine. I know that you may not be holy and blameless, but I love you anyway. I come to you in the fullness of love and I say, you are mine. The gift that I am to you is life-changing, life-defining, and hope filled. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and it will offer life to all. I am with you. Today is about hope today and in the days to come. See, I, we're going to take communion in just a moment, and it's a, it's a practice. We don't get it perfect every time. We never get it perfect, if we're really honest, because someone stumbles through and they drop a piece of bread or It happens every time. It's okay. It's not about our perfections, it's about our persistence. It's about gathering together. See, communion, one of the reasons that we make you get up out of your seat, or if those who are able, we understand some can't, we bring it to you. But but the reason we do that is because there's something about people gathering together that's awkward. About the bumping of elbows and shoulders, about shuffling through seats because it's this act in which we together practice a Christian practice where we come together and we dip a piece of bread in a cup and when someone says to you, this is the body of Christ and someone else says, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you and not because we're some kind of cannibalistic people and say, oh, it's, no, no, no. It's symbolic of a God who says, I'll come to you as one of you as a baby. And not only will I come to you, I will live with you, among you, as one of you. And someday I will die for the sake of all people so that you can find life and forgiveness and meaning and newness. And I am yours and you are mine. And nothing in this world can separate you from my love. And so communion is about this practice of recognizing that God comes to us as a child. Promising to come again. It's a practice in which we say, by God's grace and hope and love, 
he desires to transform and radically change us to become a new people. And so symbolically this morning, we recognize that through the death of Jesus, he gives hope for us today. Hope for what may be tomorrow. And hope for what will be far out into the future. And so in just a moment, we'll take communion. And then, and then as you come up today, there's, there's actually going to be candles that are given to you. Um, they're somewhere. We'll, they'll, they'll be out here eventually. Um, you'll take the candle to your seat, and at the end of the service today, when Leah begins to sing, we will turn on all the candles together, and all the Christmas lights will come on. And it's a reminder that in the midst of darkness, there is light. This Sunday is about recognizing that in the expectation, the waiting, the arrival of Jesus, we live in a world in which darkness does not reign, but hope reigns. And in the end, we believe in a God who will restore and make all things new. And so as I pray, will those who are coming to help with communion come forward and we'll prepare to take communion together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today for the way in which you desire to be near to us. So we pray in these moments as we prepare to take communion and as we symbolically eat this bread and drink of this cup, that we'll recognize you call us to persistence, not perfection. That you desire to make us holy, but you call us to live out spiritual practices where we are formed and shaped as a unique people in the world and that love would overflow in our heart and our mind and our life. So Father, will you help us to be a people in which love overflows? And we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. At each